Welcome to Hues of Excellence. Thank you for joining us once again. Don't forget to follow us on our social media. We are on Facebook as Hues of Excellence and on Twitter and Instagram as Hues Radio. So we appreciate your continued support and we look forward to bringing you thought-provoking ideas like today's show. Now, let's get started. All right, and for all of you that are just now joining us, uh, Hues of Excellence is a podcast dedicated to generating thought-provoking conversations for minority millennials. The podcast aims to be a roundtable discussion for emerging conversations surrounding racial identities, relationships, educational disparities, higher education endeavors, work life, and efficacies. Number 13. Um, and this title, this episode's title is Educational Disparities. So this episode aims to address the issues minority students face and continue to face because of the racial divide and unequal opportunities offered across the United States in our public school system. Yeah, uh, you know, we're gonna be talking, we're gonna be talking frankly on the show. Um, if you hear any language that offends you, you know, just just take it uh, with a grain of salt. We're just trying to express ourselves in the most honest way we know how. That's true. And with that said, my name is Anna Julia Almonte, and today we're joined by our host, Alexander Dawson IV, and our guest co-hosts, Sierra Martinez and Miles Williams. So thank you for joining us. We're so excited you could be here. Of course. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having me. If you want to say a little something about yourself, you can say something right now. See, you go ahead. My name is Sierra Martinez. I graduated from Elon University in May 2015. And right now, I currently teach at a charter school in Newark, New Jersey. Um, The charter school is called Uncommon Schools. Dope, dope. And I'm Miles Williams. I also graduated from Elon University in May 2015 uh, with a degree in Human Service Studies. Um, I moved to Chicago this past January and taught second grade at a charter school called Learn Charter School. Um, which was an awesome experience for me, which I'll definitely talk about more later. And I'm currently getting ready to go to graduate school at the University of Chicago, focusing in social service administration. Okay, congrats. Yeah, yeah. So with that said, let's open it up with a little question. So do you think redlining could be a major cause of educational disparities we see among minorities and non-minorities here in America? And if you don't know what redlining is, let me know so I can tell you local. Essentially, one of the biggest blamers of educational disparities here in the U.S. is that it's rooted in redlining. And for those of our audience members who don't know, redlining is the practice of denying services, either directly or um, selectively raising prices to residents of certain areas based on their racial or ethnic makeups. So it's essentially discrimination from the higher-ups. So like, for example, like in the 1980s, among the inner cities, um, banks would preferably lend to low-income whites opposed to like middle or upper-class income blacks. And so like essentially what ended up happening is that usually, usually like neighborhoods have a housing council 
and the housing council is controlled by individuals that make up like this upper class or own high value property and they're responsible for dividing up the neighborhood lines so the lines get arranged in a way where all the good schools are within neighborhood lines with high value properties and the poor performing schools are within the neighborhood lines of low value properties so essentially if you if you're a student whose family is like low income you're forced to go to to these underfunded schools with limited resources and like poor after-school programs so you're stuck in this vicious cycle where you can't afford to leave and you're stuck in this neighborhood that's forcing you to go to these schools so what's up so what's the original question a lot to digest so my question is do you think redlining could be a cause of educational disparities among minorities here in America. Oh, no doubt. I think that I I think that your question shouldn't be that because I think that it's very like it's very obvious that that is one of the leading causes. I think it's like how much does it affect people? You know what I'm saying? Because redlining mm -hmm. is is one of the like most like I don't even know how to put this. It's like just such a big reason why students are failing in a sense because when you put them in um, low achieving schools and they continue to go to these schools they can only achieve so much and they don't even have the opportunities they don't even have the access to the opportunities that people who, who students who go to a high achieving school does that make sense and so I don't think that the question is does redlining affect schools I think the question should be more structured to how many students are affected by redlining what are the effects of redlining how can we change it you know what i'm saying i mean well then i completely agree with that but you right. know like redlining was an old thing it's thought of that that doesn't happen anymore so then the question would be do you think that's still happening and do you think that like that is what's causing it at this current right. state in our current generation. Is that the reason or is it something else? Like, I think there are many reasons. I don't think it's just redlining. And I think it, it does still have an effect, um, whether implicit or explicit, whether like it's a very strong effect or it's a little um, lesser of an effect that it had um, in the previous generations. But I think that because we're rooted in this educational system that has changed so little since, um, I guess, it was built... I think it does definitely have some type of effect on our students of color and the education that they're receiving. True shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, well, <clears throat> I'm sorry, go ahead, Miles. Oh, you good, right? no, I, I completely agree with what C's saying. And I think um, when you look, if you look at Burlington, right, where we went to school, um, like right now, currently, they're going through a crisis in which they're trying to like rezone schools and try to make certain schools that are, do, are really doing pretty well in terms of um, their test scores are continuing to like foster more students that are not predominantly uh, students that are predominantly white, and bringing them into those into those schools while pushing everyone out to to like I guess the the lesser known schools in order to for them to do well uh, athletically but not do as well academically. And the schools that are doing are performing well already academically uh, are continuing to do to do so by bringing in more better teachers as well as better students from predominantly white. Uh, neighborhoods and backgrounds. Got you, got you. And uh, let me ask y'all this, because I know that, you know, when people talk about education and they talk about, you know, education, especially in poorer areas, 
um, and, and why education is so bad and how so many kids are not making it through uh, to get to college and things like that. A lot of the reason people say is there's a lack of funding. Um, you know, there's a lack of, of funds coming in to really support these kids, give them the best teachers, the best facilities um, and things like that. So and since this was really specifically for Sierra. Um, and you said you work it in Newark. Yeah, Newark, New Jersey. Okay, so so basically, and I guess so. So when did you start working there? Two thousand and eleven, two thousand and twelve. I'm tripping. I'm tripping. I'm tripping. Two thousand. I'm tripping. I was thinking about high school. Uh, what? Twenty fifteen. <laughs> you started. You started working there twenty fifteen. Yeah, I, um, I got the job like right after graduation. Got you. Okay, and so. I guess so. Mark Zuckerberg he made his 100 million dollar donation to the Newark um, public school system in 2010. And since I know you mm-hmm. weren't working there when this happened, I was wondering though, from talking to the older teachers um, and kind of just you know what what has your sense been around? Has the donation of that size do you see it paying the dividends that you would expect? Because I know that has come under like some criticism in the fact where you know it, it hasn't made as much of a difference as people would assume it would make. Or you know, do you have anything to say about that? Um, so actually, this is interesting because this is the first time that I've ever heard about it. Um, and I don't know if it's, if it's because I work in a charter school. Um, so the charter school that I work at, so charter schools are def- different than public schools. Um, mm-hmm. they're still, um, we still have to report back to the state and we still get funding from the state. Um, but we have, we, we don't teach the same way. We don't hold our students to the same expectations. And so I, but from me being in Newark the past year and just hearing about Newark public school systems, I, in my personal opinion, I don't think I've seen anything. Um, and you'll find that in Newark, I don't know where one public school is located. And that might be due to my ignorance on um, Newark in general. But you find a lot of charter schools in Newark just because the public education here is not what it's supposed to be. And so in terms of the grant and the lack of funding, um, I'm sure it helped. I don't know if there are any benefits to which I can speak of or to which the students' education, um, they're receiving a high-quality education. I'm not sure about that. But um, just from my opinion, I, I don't think so. Got you. Got you. Um, and then, Miles, you work in, in Chicago, obviously a very uh, area that's been plagued with, with violence, you know, um, as far as American cities go. How have you seen, you know, that kind of environment and the way that your kids are like interact um, that's been different from, I guess, what you would see growing up in, in Spartanburg, South Carolina? Oh, yeah, man. That's a great question. I think for me, um, my experience in Chicago so far has been very humbling. I think being in the classroom, you think that like you go in, people that go in the classroom, right? The good teachers go in the classroom with the idea that they want to make a difference um, through education and they want to be able to get kids to, to one, one learn, but also like love learning, right? And for me, this, the first, for the first time, like being in the classroom, I saw that like, it's so much deeper than having a good teacher. It's so much deeper than just having resources to be able to teach or having the right, the right textbooks or like the right, um, be able to teach a lesson plan, right? It's be able to provide the kids with food because if they're coming to school and they're hungry, they're not going to want to focus, especially second graders, right? I mean, I'm, what, 23 years old. Yeah. I'm about to go to class, and if I don't have a snack, I'm not going to listen for, sit, sit there and listen for two hours, <laughs> and I've been in school for however long, right? And so, I mean, if they're, not, if they're not eating on the weekends, if they don't have a stable home, if they're, like, if I, for example, I had at least three children um, in my class who were homeless, um, one of which would, him and his mom, who was addicted to drugs, would 
ride on the train at night, back and forth, until school started the next day. They come to school in the same clothes. Like, we didn't know what he ate. We didn't know what he was exposed to that night. Um, and he, his behavior would be, was erratic. Like, he would run around the class, run around the school. He would, I mean, and, but, I mean, not even, like, he run around the school. He would hit um, other students, other faculty members. Um, and it was really uh, tough to be able to uh, control him in the classroom. But at the same time, like, we, there's only so much you can expect of a, a second grader who has experienced a lot of trauma, who doesn't know where his next meal is coming from, and doesn't know where to, to call home. And so I think when we're looking at education, especially in a city like this, this played with so much violence, um, we have to look at a lot of the issues outside of the school um, to be able to kind of crack down that stuff so that we can actually get the kids learning when they get when they get within those walls. Um, I think one thing I, I will commend our school for doing is making sure that inside of the school building, we, we always felt like it was a safe and nurturing environment for the kids. I think... Mm-hmm. We kind of did them a disservice in terms of our expectations of them. And I think that's a, a common thread throughout the country, uh, especially for our students of color. Um, but I do think that... Um, what If you don't mind, like, what are the expectations, the unrealistic expectations that you say that you've held for them? I think, I think that we undershot what these kids were capable of doing. Um, I think mm. we, often, mm. we often think, okay, these kids are from the south side of Chicago, right? And they they don't know they don't know how to do this or they can't they're not capable of doing this or like and not pushing them as far as we can push them i think uh, uh, in, for example in my classroom i would say that the top half like the top like five or ten students in our class like probably got ignored the most because we were focusing on the lowest kids and trying to get their test scores up so that the, so that our school was getting what, what the grade that it wanted to get yeah. right and i think we didn't tap into the potential of those kids that are high achievers and we did them a disservice. Um, and so I would, I really want us to be able to do a better job of tapping into all of our students' potentials. But when, I mean, there's so many outlying factors. Mm-hmm. When I have 30 kids in my classroom, <laughs> like how much do you expect us to be able to get, reach every single one the same exact way? It's tough. So I think that's, there's a lot of different factors that play into that as well. I think that a lot of, so one of the things that does happen for those that does happen to other schools where like you have that top percent and they're performing well so you're not focused on them and you don't give them like the encouragement and like the I guess quote unquote the love mm-hmm. or the belief in themselves to believe in themselves like I believe in you and that that sort of fosters within them when someone else believes in them and they get kind of passed on like they get like transferred to like another school like it happened in my I I grew up in um northeast DC and a lot of us would get transferred to another school if we were like oh, made it above a certain line. And what ended up happening is that we got transferred among students that were really well performing and had people that believed in them. And then you start sh- like shutting yourself. You're like, do I really belong here? Am I really this smart? Like, I think they made a mistake. And like, y- you like a lot of students will cave on themselves. So I feel like another factor is like, people who believe in you mm-hmm. like people who believe that you are capable like even if you show that you're capable like being reinforced because you just said i mean like you know how can they focus on learning if they haven't been fed and ha- pushing them to their ultimate potential if you think that they're you undershoot them yeah and having mm-hmm. people that believe in them. I think that those are all, like, really important factors that kind of, like, 
push down on our educational system. Yeah. I'm trying to say some words. Yeah. But. I think I think also back to that point, um, talking about those the highest achieving kids. Like even my highest achieving kids weren't achieving like astronomically, right? So like compare in comparison to I guess where I was as a second grader, they or where a lot of my peers were when I was a second grader, they weren't there yet. But because there's such an achievement gap between them and like the lowest of the low in, in that classroom, like they kind of were like, okay, well, at least we know that their testing scores are going to be good. So we're going to we're going to continue to do what we can for them. But at the same time, we need to get the other kids up, up to their level, which is still like 50th percentile, if that. Right. So I think there's a, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. But I think that we also need to set the bar a little bit higher for even the the, the highest kids so that they can get to a different level Do you, are you guys familiar with like bush's um what was like uh, no kid left behind, yeah, no, no, no child, child left behind, behind where they, yeah. where they mm-hmm. put like that 50 percent rule where like no one could get lower than a 50 percent on the test so even if you're like getting three percent on a test as long as it they'll like round it up to 50 percent and so they're like pass them they're like not failing that bad it's only like 50 percent, and they give them a chance to like make up things and stuff like there's still like an educational gap there where you're clearly missing serious fundamentals but because of it because of the rule the 50 percent rule on a test people on the outside don't see it and those kids don't get the help that they need to get those fundamentals to move on to the next level like, do you guys, like, you one guys thing, are actually there. So what do you think yeah. about that? And one thing that, like, I want to touch on that you guys were talking about earlier. So um, Miles mentioned that, like, his school or, like, some people at his school weren't holding students to the same standards, right? Or to the highest standards of which the children could achieve. And one thing that I want to point out, though, is that you have to zoom in on what kind of teachers do you have? Mm -hmm. What kind of teachers are working in the school? Because if you're working in a school that is more than 90% black or when you have not like when you have a lot of black, black and brown kids who come from a low socioeconomic area, you are going, you're going to face challenges like kids being homeless, kids not having food, kids like going through their parents do i have parents who come to school high as fuck picking up their children high as fuck in parent conferences high as fuck and it's just like you have to be the certain type of teacher who knows your children can succeed who knows you're going to push them to 100 even if they think they can't do it but the problem one of the one of the problems not the like one of the problems is is that when you go to apply so public schools that are in those low socioeconomic areas, most of the time they hire a teacher that they can get. Because if you think about it, a lot of people don't want to go work in these places because they know they're not going to get paid the same. They know they're going to put in 10 times more of the work and not get like rewarded or whatever for it. And it's just like these teachers who work there, I'm not going to say all of them, but like some of them aren't there for the right reason. So yeah, of course they're not going to push the kids. One, I'm only here for the check. The check's not even that much. I'm staying here till nine o'clock. I get in at six. The fuck? What, what do you mean? And it's just like we really have to zoom in on the kind of teachers that we're hiring and why they are here. If they're not here to push my kids, I don't want you. I would rather lose a prep during my day to then hire a teacher at my school who was there for the wrong reasons. And what's crazy is that we had a retreat at work um, last week in Brooklyn. And the um, 
the theme of our retreat was love and revolution. Um, we focused a lot. Um, yeah, we focused a lot on the recent events um, that happened over the summer. Alton Sterling, the Dallas shooting, um, Orlando, all of those like tra uh, tragedies that happened. And what's crazy is like, I'm not going to front. Like we have a lot of white teachers at my school, like a lot, like within the whole entire network, we have a lot of them. And, and, but we also have a lot of black and brown teachers, which is dope because you don't really see that. Yeah. Like that's something that the education system like in general needs to work on. But what's crazy is that like during the retreat, um, one teacher on when she evaluated the opening ceremony where we talked about like black lives matter and the movement and how like white lives matter too is irrelevant. Like we're not talking about all that shit. We're talking about black people and why that's relevant today. And one, like one teacher put on her evaluate, like her evaluation, um, well, I don't think that uncommon schools should be pressing their political views upon um, <gasps> teachers. Bruh, oh bruh, when oh I tell God. you the oh chief God. officer of the schools went into their session and was like, who are you? Stand up because I don't want you here. And it's just like that. Like when you have people who are running the schools for the right reasons, you hire people who are at schools for the right reasons. You know your children can achieve because they're smart, not because of where they come from. Yeah, they might not have the same resources. Yeah, they might not have the same parents who pushed you, who pushed me, but they can do it. The intellect is there. It's just you pushing them. Like at my school. Did they find her though? Wait, did they find her though? Did they no, find no, no, no. Shorty never course. came up. Of no. Course. Of exactly course. and so like I think it's something that they're still working on but now like we have the first day of school tomorrow so I, I don't know I honestly don't know um the background and like what's happening on that now but like at my school our kids take um interim assessments like once a month so they take a math test they take a literacy test and then us as teachers and the principals and all of us have to evaluate and like have to really dig deep in the data. Okay, where was their errors? What are they struggling with? We do reteachers. We do reteachers. Our school has one of the highest state test scores like in the country. Yeah. And it's because we have, it's because we know they're able. It's because we teach the point of error. It's because we love our kids. One thing that I like, one thing, so one thing that I and making my students say this year is um it's like it's kind of like a self-affirmation poem and it says and it goes like this so I would say first and then my kids will repeat after me I believe in myself and my ability to do my best I am intelligent I am capable of greatness I can learn I will learn I must learn today so today I will listen I will speak I will learn I will fight I will do all of these things with one purpose in my mind to do my very best because I work too hard to waste this beautiful Monday at Fairmount elementary and it's just like you speaking Yo, those words of chill. life yeah it's just like you speaking that like those words into your children whether it's implicit or explicit your students know how the fuck you care about them they know if, you, if you're here for the wrong reasons like whether you say it or not and it's just like you don't want those type of people in your school you know what i'm saying i don't know i just had to get that so out. let me let me ask you this um because i know a lot of people they, they say that okay the the best professors the best teachers you know, the, the teachers that, you know, have have all the right reasons and they and they want to really make a difference and things like that. Um, they, they always go back to, well, why are those teachers not going into these these areas to teach these kids? And I guess when, when I have these conversations with people, it's like, well, they don't want to be in, you know, they, they're not getting paid enough. They don't want to be in that environment. They don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. And so it's almost like a saying that the, the school system, especially the public school system, doesn't have the resources to provide the types of things that the best teachers are going to want. Yes. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah, because He's if you think about it, so I think that goes right back to the redlining thing. Um, the schools get resources based on um, their they, their location. And so if you're like, and it sucks because like, if you think about it, it's counterintuitive. Why would you not give the same resources to quote unquote, uh, well, to a high socioeconomic area when you already know those parents have parental support? Not saying that every child in a low SES area doesn't have that, but you find that some don't when they need it the most. And so the system is backwards. It's just like, we're not giving our kids who need it the most the resources that they need. Rather, you're gonna stretch your, you're stretching your teachers out, not only their brains and their, their work ethic, but also their pockets because they have to spend their own money mm -hmm. on things in the classroom right. because the school doesn't provide it. And it's not because the school doesn't wanna provide it, but it's just because they can't. Right. They have so many other things that they have to buy, that they have to make sure is good. And so like, it's just like, I feel like our society is just so backwards now in terms of so many things, but you have basketball players out here making millions, trillions of dollars, whatever. I'm a teacher. I get paid good, but that's because I work in a charter school. But like, there should be no teacher out here struggling to survive because at the end of the day, I'm creating the next Albert Einstein. I'm creating the next MLK. I'm creating the next whoever. And you have the nerve to not, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me. No, no, and, and that's a good point. As far as as far as you know, some of the ways that you've seen some uh, successes in your in your line of work, um, what are some what are some programs that you've seen that have been really effective, especially with kids that they may not come from that stable background, may not have that you know parental support um, at home. What have been some um, programs either in school or in the community that you've seen that's really been able to help kind of push these kids along to achieve, you know, at, the, at their highest potential? Yeah, so um, in terms of... Go ahead, Miles, you got it. He's thinking, he's thinking, he's thinking. Okay, um, so in terms of programs, so I've... Um, let's see, for my black and brown children. So I know that... At my school, like, we have after-school programs, but I think that, like, that's basically just to keep the kids at school for their, like, until their parents get off work. I think that one thing that's very effective to get those children to achieve, to get black and brown children to achieve, is just, like, you speaking life into them. I think at the end of the day, that is the biggest thing. You loving them. You showing them love. You hugging them. You, hey, are you okay? How's your day been? How was, how was your morning? How's your mom doing? She just had a baby. How's the baby doing? It's just like, it's more about having that personal connection. Yeah, I, I don't scream at my kids, but I get them in check. They know Miss Martinez does not play. I will turn up on you real quick. But they also know that whatever they need, I will. It's real. It's real. It's, but that's just because I have high expectations for my kids because I know that if I don't, one, who will, two, if they act like that in the streets in Newark, bruh, they're gone. They're well, fucking I, gone. I have to say, like, you said that, like, these after-school programs are basically shit because they're just, like, to keep them in while they're parents. But, like, I went to after-school programs when I was in the inner cities in Washington, D.C., and, like... I think that they do serve a good purpose. Like I had my tutors and I had my mentors mm -hmm. there. Like and they right. were everybody. Everyone was brown. Everyone was brown and black. Right. Like and it was like they were like they were like college students that like came and volunteered and mm -hmm. they made me want to aspire to be like them. And it gives right. me an opportunity to socialize with other kids mm -hmm. that are like training in the same mentality. So I'm just saying like right. yes, yes, like. I, I agree, like, like some homework, like, you don't, like, it's more important to feel the love from your parents and right. to see them there and to have a home-cooked meal or, like, be able mm -hmm. to sit at the dinner table even if you're just eating some Popeyes or some KFC. <laughs> but, like, 
you know, some of the, like, you can't knock off some of these uh, after school programs because they do, some of them are really good and they're really good for building right. self-esteem and providing some tutoring, which is what I definitely needed at mm-hmm. that time. Miles, what's, what's been your experience, Miles, with that? Yeah, see, I think, man, I think Big Brothers and Big Sisters was one that I personally uh, volunteered with in high school and um, mm-hmm. have a little bit of my college experience. And I think being able to see the growth that some of those kids had, like having someone that believes in them, right? We talked about that earlier, like was huge. Um, here in Chicago, 100 Black Men in Chicago is a, is a mentoring organization that basically does the same exact thing as Big Brothers, Big Sisters in terms of education, in terms of healthcare, um, different type of programs with like health and wellness, economic development, that type of thing, ACT prep, like getting kids ready for school, ready for college, right? Um, but my experience personally, as a black male who comes from a pretty stable home background, um, even though my parents are divorced, like both of them were like, were there for me. But as a black male, I will never, ever forget my coaches and being able to have like a, as a, as an athlete, having teammates and brothers that I have that I could do stuff after school with like every day. I mean, I played four sports in high school and Every day after school, I knew I was going to be with my teammates and be with my friends and sharing the same experiences and be able to talk about what we learned at school that day. Also, joke around and be able to talk about what it means to be black and like what it means to be a student of color and what different things we face and how and how we navigate those spaces. And even as, as a 23-year-old man that's now out, you know, in the real world and by myself, like that's the hardest transition for me is going from having 100 teammates, 100 brothers that I see every single day to being on my own and realizing like I have to foster those relationships by myself now. Um, and so I think to answer your, your question, Alex, in terms of like programs, there's a lot of cool after school programs out there, but I think w- if programs aside, it's important to have mentorship and like accountability networks. Right. And I think whatever programs are doing that, we need to give more resources to and tap into those because those are the ones that are going to be producing the black men or men of color rather and, and women of color that we that we want to be able to see um, in the future. Definitely, definitely. Um, and just thinking from my own experience, I remember one of the things that was really big for me, um, you know, during my developmental years was not only making sure that I had role models around, which usually were my, you know, my parents, obviously, and then also my coaches and teachers. But I think that another huge part of, and I've seen this happen with, with uh, teammates of mine as well in high school and in college is, once you're in a position where you are the role model and you realize that you have people looking up to you and you realize that you your decisions are affecting younger people, it really puts your decisions in, you know, I think a, a, a light where you really understand that it's not just you and you're not just trying to uh, you're just you're not trying to just um, get to the level that you see one of your leaders at, but you're also trying to help the next generation. And I'm, I, I know there's been plenty of situations where. You know, you might want to do something reckless or you have some friends that might <laughs> yes. want to do something reckless. But yes. you think about, you know, the little kids that are looking up to you. Um, and I know there's been some and I've read up there's, there's been some type of programs. Um, and I, I want to say it's in California, but they'll have like the middle schoolers helping the elementary schoolers and the high schools helping the middle schoolers basically in that type of a program. Um, but, yeah, I definitely agree that sports also is, is, is um, key. Also, community involvement. Yeah, for sure. I think um, one thing we also haven't really talked about is church, right? And I know for my development, that was that was key to be able to see, like, see, like, like when we're in a society where we don't really recognize um, black men as much um, in terms of 
how smart we are, how we're we're good businessmen, how innovative. we're innovative, right? How we're innovative, right? Correct, innovative. Um, how we're caring and loving, like being able to see that love in the church um, was big for me. Like, I, I mean, other than that's probably the only time other than like on the football field, basketball court, whatever, where I saw black men uh, was at church. I mean, other than that, I was my teachers weren't black, um, and other than my dad, right, my or, or uncles, right. But like that's where you can, that's where you are are around men who are doing things for themselves, who are, are admitting, like, well, growing up in a Christian church, like admitting that we're not perfect, right? But we're trying to figure it out, and they obviously have have found a way to to succeed either by going to school or in their business or what have you, and be able to learn from them. I mean, my my youth pastor was huge for me. Um, and so I think that's another place where we, we can kind of focus a little bit and try to, or as a black community or community of color, need to be able to reach out from churches and be able to bring some of these young kids in and show them, show them love, show them compassion, give them the resources or, or mentors or connections necessary to be able to, to, to achieve. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's let me, powerful. let me ask y'all this real quick for people that are listening that, you know, they're thinking, man, yeah, our education system has a lot of, a lot of, you know, problems right now. There's a lot that needs to be done. You know, I'm just one person. I, like, what can I do? It seems like such a big problem. You know, I, I don't have the time to, you know, start a community outreach program or whatever. What's the most effective way or what's, what, what do you guys feel like is a an effective way that somebody that's just a, a member of a community um, can really step in and help the, the overall um, educational opportunities of that community? I think like it goes back to what you guys were just discussing. Like when I was at Elon, I also like volunteered at the Boys and Girls Club and I did things like that. And I think like the most effective thing, if you feel like like I'm a raindrop in a pond or whatever, whatever they, that analogy is, I don't know. But it's just like, just like go volunteer, go give back. All you have to do is like get a background check that, that you don't even have to do. You just get the paper from the school and they do everything else for you. It's just like, because you never know how big of an impact you can have on one child. And if you have that impact on one child, he that could he, that could make such a difference for him or her. And like he could he or she could achieve things that they never would be able to if they didn't have that mentor. And I think that mentorship is so crucial because not only do you form that relationship, but you they have somebody to look up to that maybe maybe they didn't have before. And they see you achieving these things. They see you talking about college. They see you doing all these things that they never knew about. And like with me, like I grew up in a low SES area too. I wasn't college bound until 10th grade. And the only reason I was college bound in 10th grade was because I had that teacher who spoke life into me. I didn't have a mentor, unfortunately. Like I didn't have a college kid or a whatever to come like to come and like help me out or whatever. But it's just like, there are, um, what are the programs called? Big sister or big brothers, whatever. Yeah. What is it called? Yeah. The, yeah. The big brother program. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And those programs like that are everywhere in every single city. And like, even if you don't want to do something on a level like that, um, just doing something smaller, like going to read a book or something like that, like every Friday, it doesn't even have to be more than once a week, just something because you can make a difference no matter how small. Uh, yeah talking about that like no matter how small like another thing that you can do even if you don't feel like you're like young enough to like relate to the kids and volunteer but you can you can do things like donate goddamn school supplies like if you have the means and you have a little money on the side you can just like 
go into Target, little Walmart, just get yourself some school supplies and donate it. Because, like, like, these teachers are, like, pulling their hair out over here trying to figure out how little Timmy and little John's going to have a crayon. Like, they, that shouldn't be their issue. Like, they should be focusing on their lessons. So if you can, like, allevi- alleviate that for, like, even one classroom, you're helping all those kids in that classroom. For sure. Like, for sure. I, I think the point that I want to add is, like, I don't remember where I got this quote from, but I remember hearing it growing up. It was basically saying, like, a child's life is like a piece of paper, and on it, every person, every person leaves a mark. And so, like, oh, and so, especially quote. for kids growing up in low socioeconomic backgrounds, lots of children of color, like, they have a lot of, like, dark marks on their lives, right? A lot of trauma, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. Um, and by being, like, by being a bystander, you're contributing to those dark marks, right? You're not you're not, you're not yeah, doing anything about it. You're, yeah, you're not yeah, doing yeah. anything to erase it. You're not doing anything to bring any light or color into their lives. And so, like by mm-hmm. by, by simply bringing some resource, bringing some school supplies, by sp- sharing some time where you can read a book to a class like once a month, right? Like I mean, if one of my parents, like one of my kids' parents, came in like once a month and read a book to those those kids, like. That would mean so much. One for that for the kid. I remember my, my my dad would come in and bring me like some Chick Fil A for lunch, and I would be, feel like so cool because like my dad's here. Uh, my dad's bringing me some freaking food. Like I love it. All the other kids were jealous and wanted some French fries or something. But like, like, but that means it means so much for the kids, right? It means so much just to share some of your time or like be able to. I mean, for even like um, we had a career day where we brought some police in and talked about talked to the kids about like the state of the community and understanding like what the police's role is. And like, they got to ask whatever questions they wanted to from the police. And the kids have so many questions, like so many profound questions about mm-hmm. what's happening in their community. And I feel like they have the right to understand what those things are. So like as educated people of color, we, we have a uh, responsibility to go back into these, these areas, even if we're not from these areas, like, I'm, I'm from a predominantly white uh. area in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I probably, um, <laughs> I, I could not tell you how many people, black people live in Roebuck, South Carolina, but like, I, I feel like as a, as a person of color who's been able to achieve and who's been able to put myself in a cool position where I'm able to give back, that I'm, it's my duty to do so. And I think that as people of color, we need to be able to do that um, and go back into these communities and show and give them hope, give them uh, an opportunity that a person that looks like them can do whatever they want to do. Um, and I think especially our young black boys and girls need to see that. We're nearing the end of our time. But as a recap, these are the things that we've said cause educational disparity. Some redlining, dangerous situations at home, like unavailability of food, having no parents or guardians at home, undershooting average performing students, the pressure of test score results, teachers with ulterior motives, public schools that don't have enough funds from the state to provide good resources for students and staff, and after-school programs, places to for students to find mentors or places to feel safe. And so the thing that we've suggested is to bring color into a child's life by volunteering or donating. And so that was pretty captivating over here. You yeah. guys are amazing. <laughs> definitely, like, definitely. And, um, and Miles, I, I appreciate what you said about your dad stopping by. I remember one time my dad stopped by to, to uh, beat my ass one time. <laughs> you know, hey, but, get in the same now. way, though. The uh, same way. The same way. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so, uh, and, and just real quick, I, I forgot to mention this earlier. There's a podcast called Revisionist History by Malcolm Gladwell. He did a um, an educational three part uh, mini series on on the podcast Revisionist History, and one of those parts was talking about how. You know the the Ivy League schools, the colleges. They a couple years ago they um, increased their admissions policy to say that if you know a kid came from a, a bad background, socioeconomically, um, then they would be able to go to those schools for free, um, assuming that they had the you know the right scores or whatever on the on the SAT things like that. And the the amount of students that were able to take advantage of that really wasn't that significant. And the, basically the whole episode was talking about how. A lot of these kids, it's not that there's a lack of really bright and really geniuses coming out of bad socioeconomic backgrounds, but it's the fact that even by the time you have to make it to your senior year of high school to even get the opportunity to to have yeah. some of those yeah. those um those those opportunities in life. And so they're talking about how you have to make sure that the things that you're doing with these kids and make sure that you know you you're getting them while they're young and cultivating them from mm-hmm. an age where they still, you know, have have these a lot of these opportunities. Um, so yeah, thank you guys very much. I, I really appreciate you guys coming on the show. <laughs> All right, and that was our show for today. Um, please tune in to us next week, Hughes of Excellence, and we discuss the state of uh black America versus the police. Um, it's called Man in the Mirror is the responsibility with us, is the responsibility with them. Please tune in next week to find out. And that was our show. Thank you all for listening. And thank you for our special guests, our co-host guests, Sierra Martinez and Miles Williams. And go ahead and say bye, everybody. Bye. Man, peace out, everybody. If I were a student, I would love to be in Sierra Martinez class. Thank y'all for having us.